Tabletop Game Talk, Role-Playing Games Edition, the once-a-month episode where we talk about a role-playing game topic. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we've been inspired by your questions, and we're going to talk about what a player gets out of an RPG. A fair question, since there are no winners or losers when a play... I can read... Great. <laughs> a fair question, <laughs> since there are no winners or losers when playing a role-playing game. And if you can't win, why play? I mean, even a co-op board game has a clear win and loss condition, right? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Hello! How is your weeks? Is <laughs> that a... Was that a Turing prompt or something? <laughs> Am I supposed to be a robot or not? Just checking. I think Chris is the one we need to check if he's a robot I'm tonight. I'm guessing robot. <laughs> no, <laughs> my week has been interesting. Um, yeah, I. so I'm not going to talk a lot on this because when I do, I will start coughing. But I was diagnosed with pneumonia this morning. So I have like this huge pain on my left lung and it hurts to talk and breathe and move so yeah i picked a topic or the question topic that makes you guys do all the talking while i sit over here on mute and i'm looking forward to it i want to know how you got pneumonia cooped up in your house all day i have no idea you're not going into work right nope and at first, I thought it was just like a bruised Weird. rib, because that's what it felt like. Yeah, and last week, you were w- talking about that. And the week before, you were like, I think I might be having a heart attack. <laughs> no, that was, was doing Kickstarter. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was all within the last week. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. Saturday, I, w- I texted Kitty saying, hey, I can't edit an eight-minute podcast because I can't, you know, move. And can you do the DTN clip for us? So she did. Thank you, Kitty. Um, that that day was crazy, though. Like, I was cold. I was hot. I was sweating profusely. No fever. Yes and no. Yeah, it was. I was just all over the place. I was exhausted. Wrong and right. And I, I went to the Apple store because I wanted to get my head, my ear pods replaced. And, you know, I was able to do everything there. But by the end of Saturday, I was just like, I was just done so this morning i'm like all right i should probably go get this checked out and apparently a chest extra said congratulations you have pneumonia awesome <laughs> at least it's not covid <laughs> you have pneumonia so antibiotics in a couple days and i'll be fine but for now why don't you guys tell us what you've done this week um, i don't think i did see. anything this week <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think I, what did i do i don't know Nothing nothing glamorous, that's for sure. Rearrange the office a little bit. I don't have any exciting stories like <laughs> I have pneumonia. <laughs> I got a I fancy e- new cup slash water bottle thing. Oh. It's really, yeah, check it out. This is my big excitement for the week. Uh, <laughs> so I guess this cup. is kind of a thing. I gave up soda. I, ha- I got mad at um, soda prices and I was like, I'm done drinking this it's ridiculous so of course because i did this all to save myself money i had to buy myself a fancy new cup so i wouldn't get dehydrated because that's how i do things (laughs) for those that don't know i don't know about in the suburbs but at least in the city of chicago there is a soda tax there's not in the suburbs but it is still i think they just keep the prices competitive with the city 
a lot of times. So it's ridiculous. They're like, oh, Chicago's doing it. We could probably raise our prices too. Yeah. And also just with like COVID and supply chain things, soda prices have been like creeping up and up over the last year. Hmm. Yeah. I don't really drink much soda. So um, I used to drink a lot of it and then I got mad at it and now I don't drink any for the last, you know, <laughs> three days. <laughs> My soda is McDonald's because I'll get a large for a dollar. So when I stopped drinking it because, well, I don't think it's great for you when you can't breathe. Um, I would I took the McDonald's cup and filled it with ice water and it made me feel good. So that's my new water bottle. It's just a McDonald's cup and a straw. Yeah, mine is basically dun, 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 dun. the f- the fancy version of a McDonald's cup, but it's, you know, a double wall tumbler with a silicone straw so that my kid can't pick it up and stab himself in the face with it. I'm so loyal well, to Well, thank McDonald's. you for joining us for Tabletop Tumblr Talk. That's it for this week. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> Darn it. Plates. <laughs> hey, you asked what was going on in my life. I mean, you didn't, Chris did, but still, you know... These are the exciting times that I live in. It's all cup talk. Hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to stop being so entertaining. No, despite this, this podcast is is going to be dangerous for me. Um, I have to mute in two places too. So when I start my hacking fit, I have to mute you guys so you don't hear me, and I have to mute the microphone. So when you, well, I guess I'm still going to do the editing, but putting it together, I don't want to hack out all my hacks. Do you want to? Do you want to quickly give the the um, game rules? Our giveaway uh, for giveaways because honestly, I don't think I know them. Um, (laughs) Should I try? Actually, yeah, you guys go ahead and try. What if I? What if I don't recover from this whole pneumonia thing? Then you guys are gonna have to take over the podcast permanently and give away all my games. Well, they won't be getting any games. That's for sure. No, I think the captain goes down with the ship. We'll be done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So 2021 giveaway. Uh, Chris has too many games that he was not allowed to give away at Gen Con because it didn't happen. So there is a list of games in the show notes, which you can receive one of if you are lucky enough to have your name drawn. And to get your name on the list for the drawing, all you have to do is email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Did I do it? You were. I think you did it. You were <laughs> close. You did miss all the rule parts, but that all the rules are in the show notes as well. What um, are the rule parts? Uh, let's uh, <laughs> something about you have two weeks to respond. Um, oh, you yeah. may have to help cover shipping. Uh, you can only win once during the entire twenty twenty one. It's the fine print stuff. Yeah. You know what? Listen to last week's episode to get the rules. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That works out perfectly. All right. Let's talk about role-playing games. So we had a bunch of questions. Um, most of the questions were long enough where I'm like, nah, these are going to make pretty good show topics. And this particular topic is going to be split into two pieces. One, why play a role-playing game? And two, why run a role-playing game? Um, they're very different experiences, different levels of you know, essentially outside of game prep, uh, just, you know, you're creating the story versus experiencing the story. Um, sort of, it depends on how you play the game. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting for you guys to talk about why you like playing role-playing games. Because if I remember correctly, neither of you have actually run a role-playing game. Nope. Uh, I have 
many, many years ago. Okay. Once. But you've been primarily a player. Yes. All right. So, um, I broke this down into a bunch of different pieces. I will ask the questions, then go on mute. And you guys discuss. And discuss for as long as possible, because I need to breathe and drink. Um, So, I broke it up into a couple different categories. The first is, we we talked about in the open, winning and losing. Um, Can you win a role-playing game? Uh, what, if you could, what would it look like? If you a loss, what would it look like? <laughs> so, ready, discuss. Uh, can you win a role playing game? Um, yes, <laughs> I think you can. If you complete the campaign, I count that as a win. Can you lose a role playing game? I think so. I mean, if there's a total party kill, I guess you can count that as a loss. But then we you can for you know, sure count that respawn as, a loss. as like new characters. <laughs> I don't know. I think a TPK or total party kill where all of the player characters have been murdered by the GM. Um, I think like there are very few games that start up with the same storyline after that. That's just it. Yeah. I mean, it would have to, you have to come up with something, you know, I don't know. The G- the GM would have to come up with something to make it kind of like, oh, well, there are these other people that you met that also you influenced and now they want to follow in your footsteps, maybe. Also, I would argue that if the GM runs a campaign where there's a total party kill, they're probably not doing a great job as a as a GM. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like very good uh, sportsmanship to have, like, especially if it's like a years long campaign in which there is a TPK yeah. towards the end of it. Like, that just feels awful i i do the gm is like i win (laughs) (laughs) that's it i mean i guess if you wait till like the boss fight like the very very end and then it like just ends in defeat there's like a certain fun aspect to that a little bit i don't think i'd be happy i would probably like punch chris in the face if he did that to us but i could see in the right circumstances it could be kind of fun uh, it would Let's be fun to see it happen to someone else. <laughs> Let's imagine. So I disagree with you. I don't think you can win or lose. And I do not think a total pottery kill is a loss. But I'm going to give you an example to back that up. You're playing Wait, a campaign. A total party kill is not a loss or is a loss? It, it is not. It does not have to be. It may end a campaign, but I don't think you lose when a campaign ends. There's lots of reasons the campaign could end. But imagine a scenario like this. You're playing a group of characters. You go into a dungeon. After two and a half, three months of playing these characters, you're completely killed. And then the DM says, and that was the prologue to the real campaign. Now, here are your real characters. No, I don't like that. It does. It just feels I don't like that. It's even worse than just like, oh, I killed all your characters. Ha 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 ha. Um, I think it's better if you want the campaign to continue like you as the GM, the rules are, you know, a framework to tell a story and you can break the rules for the sake of the story at any given time. I think we've talked about this before. Um, the way you can flavor kill a character. There are no dice rolls. There are no mechanics. The GM can just say, and then you die and you're dead. And that's how, you know, and it, if it, if it works in the story and like, 
especially if the player knows it's coming. Like we used to talk about our friend really enjoyed coming up with new character concepts more than he liked playing the characters. And he would get in on it with Chris and be like, kill off my character because I have this really good idea for a new character. Really fun to have those like flavor kill moments. But you can also flavor save someone. So you as the DM see a TPK coming and you're like, and then... Um, you know, the something happens, you get away, this one character gets away, and they get to go inspire and reach out to a new party. And there, if you want the story to continue, you have to make the story continue, you can't just end it. So maybe it's not a loss, but it is an end. And an end feels like losing when you were playing a game and it didn't end the way you wanted it to. (laughs) I will give you that potentially. I do not think (laughs) a character death is losing though, because you can lose multiple times in a campaign if that were the case. Yeah. I don't think you don't win or lose like the game you, but you can have moments that feel like a win or a loss. And those are enough to keep you going through. I think that with role-playing games, you often have encounters is what you kind of measure time by. So within every week, you probably have like a one to two encounters, depending on how long you're playing. And those encounters, you can definitely win or lose. You, you know, go in, you fight the monsters, you kill them all. We win, victory, haha. You could even have like a huge battle. These, uh, scenarios like can take place over like such small or large scales and those you do feel like you can win an encounter but then you go into like the more role play aspects of the game and it's not like you can win shopping like i bought the best weapon i win haha <laughs> you know there's just there's certain aspects Challenge that accepted. have no win or lose i'm excited to see you win shopping on our You've next never seen supermarket <laughs> sweep <laughs> <laughs> I am going the to price win is it right. <laughs> I'm going to haggle you down to nothing. <laughs> Roll nat, nat 20 charisma. And I mean, I guess if we're talking about board games, I know that there are many shopping board game <laughs> themes out there. So yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Everything can be winning and losing. You can win or lose at literally anything. So why not? Why not a role-playing game? I mean, so with the, with the whole winning and losing thing, I would say like... Yeah, you don't necessarily like lose the campaign if if a character dies. That's you know that's obvious. You can re-roll another character or, or like somehow bring it back to life. Um, but what I would consider like a loss, it doesn't mean you can't continue. Is like a total party kill, like that you were not expecting. Because then you have to kind of you can you can still continue. You can re-roll other characters. Maybe someone can come in and save you or something like that. But like to me, that's almost that's like. It's kind of like a hard stop. Like now we have to figure out something or rejigger new characters or whatever. It's true. And the further you get in a campaign, the harder it becomes because the higher level you are, the more rare that kind of hero is supposed to be in the world in most RPGs. So like, you know, when you get up to like 15th level, they were talking about this on another podcast I listened to. They're like, you know, if one of us dies, then... Like, we're going to have to come up with some real backstory of, like, where did this hero come from and how do they know what we're doing? Like, we've been doing this for so long. Like, like 
you can't just come up with these characters who walk in off the street anymore. It used to be just like, you know, adding a third through fifth level character. Yeah, sure. You can find another one of those. But like these these heroes, these mythic heroes who have been in this battle for so long, it's like it's so much harder to make that fit right. the narrative that it does you feel like more a, of a another, loss further on in the story yeah another five level, level character that you find at the tavern that's like uh oh, join our group fighter right <laughs> 15th level fighter is like a huge war veteran that has tons of like you know who this person is right you've heard or, like of these the town people. does in the surrounding area <laughs> like this is a very famous person that you ran into i um Still don't think I think everything you're saying is is valid. I just don't think it's a loss or a win. I don't think you can win a campaign. You can make it to the end. You can have a bad ending. But I think Kitty, you hit on it where I agree the most is there will be successes and failures all the time while you're playing. But I don't think that I mean you hear it a lot if the more you're get into the role playing world. The successes are oftentimes way more, or sorry, the failures are way more interesting than the successes. So does failing mean you've lost? No, it's just an interesting story bit that your characters now have to figure out what to do with. And while a TPK can be a campaign ender, it doesn't have to be. Like you said, you can have a story reasons they didn't kill you. You just wake up now imprisoned and now you have to escape and etc. Things like that. So there are many ways that the DM can continue that campaign if they want to. If a DM really just wants to kill the group, though, like I said, you can do that whenever. I don't think that's a loss. I think that's a DM that got bored and a campaign that got boring. So it was a bad end, but not necessarily a loss. Maybe a yeah, loss. Of Chris, investment. when you said like, what if what if the uh, DM like kills the whole party and it's like, okay, that was the preamble. <laughs> that was the preface. Now here comes the rest of the story. Like who who says that on on NPR? <laughs> Somebody remind me. Anyway, um, that would make with if I didn't know that going in, that might make me a little bit angry because it's like okay, I want to roll this character. I'm invested. Paul Harvey, thank you, John Sullivan, <laughs> <laughs> um, and David Redke. Um, the because I'm invested in this character. If you if you said like oh you know the first round. Uh, this character is going to go into like level five or six or so. And then we're going to have new characters after that. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, but at least I'd be prepared. And if you were just yeah. like, Oh, now the party's dead. Reroll new characters. I'd be like, Ugh, I wanted to continue playing the same character. Yeah. It's and a jerk it move feel- to do that. It's a bait and switch move. And your GM should not bait and switch the characters. What's fun for the GM by saying, ha ha ha, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill them all off. And then they're going to have new characters, especially if the GM decides, as my example, I'm just going to hand you your new characters. Um, That is not a cool move. And I would expect that that would not be fun for the players. It was all a dream. (laughs) (laughs) It can be super cool to do that. Like I've seen sessions played where, you know, we start with all of the characters' deaths. How do you see your death? And then we're going to go back and start again. And like, or now we're, you know, in the underworld and you have to fight your way out. Like, but you have to get buy in for that. And it can't take months to do. It's just, that's too mean. Yes. Now, speaking of buy in, this is the winning and loss, losing. And apparently we could do an entire episode on it. <laughs> um, but I am curious. Of the different things about 
playing the game. Um, what is important to you and how important to you? And I've listed them out, but feel free to like add things that I may not have listed. So my first question is, how important is the overall story? Like, is does it matter like what that story is or, you know, should it be an epic story? Is it okay that it's, you know, you're just going to be killing rats in a cave for most of the time because it's a low power campaign or like Despite how important rage, is that overall still kill story? Rats in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that the story has to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be a great story. I'm, I'm fairly happy killing rats in a cave in a, in a cave <laughs> in a cage. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I'm pretty happy just, you know, going splunking and, and killing anything that moves. But if there's a story attached to it, it makes it a little bit more fun and it doesn't have to be a super engaging story. Just some, something to like string encounters together and to like push me into a certain direction. But, you know, once I get into a dungeon, I'm happy just like, Oh, let's see where this goes. I want to open up every door and explore every room. Um, but the story doesn't have to be killer. If the story is really good, like great, but it doesn't actually have to be that great for me. What about you, Kitty? I like to have a good story. I like to have, I like to feel like the story will have an ending too. I feel like sometimes uh, you can feel like, and now we're just, we walk here and we do a thing and we walk here and we do a thing and there's not really a greater purpose to it. But when you do feel the like draw of a greater purpose and you start to feel like I am the hero of this world and there's more going on to it. I, I really like that, but it doesn't have to be constantly present. It just has to occasionally draw you along. Otherwise it does just feel like how many caves can there possibly be full of rats in this world? Like, you know, like millions. What do you mean? <laughs> It just like, you know, at some point it's like, are we heroes or exterminators? I don't know. <laughs> and, and you have We're to both. have, <laughs> I know. Um, I think we might just be exterminators in our current campaign. I don't know. <laughs> but there's enough stories. There's ghosts who pop up and the mad mage. And there's enough thread there to keep, you know, what is going on here. We're wandering through this dungeon for a reason, not just. Oh, yeah, let's go in this room and kill this thing. Let's go break up Goblin Coachella, you know. <laughs> and I think that this leads to what I actually look forward to in a game. And that is the people and the story we create that has nothing to do with the story inside the campaign. It's the outside of the campaign story that we come up with. And yeah, sure, it might have something to do with, you know what's going on in the campaign, but sometimes it's completely unrelated. It's just, you know, hanging out with my friends and making these jokes and being able to four days later say Goblin Coachella and make Fletcher laugh. And that's good enough for me. <laughs> that's the fun part. <laughs> I mean, you're your definitely right about that. Like a lot of the fun and we'll get to it because it's one of the thing, but like is the group itself is just the group dynamic hanging out with a group of people. So how important is your, your character's personal story? Uh, versus like the mechanics of your character um well versus the mechanics of my character or, well just in general like I mean, do you guys have a picture or a, a personality in mind of your character 
or is it just kind of you in some kind of armor wielding magical knives? Uh, I've tried to like play a different kind of character to like choose, like I'm not this person, but like, you know, um, be more, you know, demure or, or something else. But it's hard for me to do that because naturally I'm just like jokey and I like to make jokes and I like to say funny things. So it doesn't really work for me because it's like, oh, my character wouldn't like say anything like that, but I would. So I still say it anyway and people just laugh. Um, so I, I, to me, it's just, it's, it's, it's like my personality wrapped up in, you know, some other race or whatever with maybe a different, um, you know, alignment class to make make things a little <laughs> bit easier. Things that I would never do. But um and and then in terms of mechanics, like mechanics is kind of like the meat and potatoes for me of like any RPG. I, I want to dig in and I want to I want to tweak and I want to you know min max and I want to figure out like how do I want to play this character in a way that's fun and in a way that is going to be you know, really helpful for the group or what I want to achieve in, in, in the best way possible in, in whatever that way could be. Yeah, I think Kitty. it's hard to play a character too, especially when we're playing online. I think when you're at a table, it's a little bit easier to kind of distinguish like what I'm saying versus what my character's saying, separating the jokes from the gameplay, that kind of stuff. Um, it can get really tricky it can get really tricky just to hear what everyone is saying full stop online. You know, when everyone's talking at the same time, Zoom is like, you only get to hear one person. <laughs> that can be <laughs> bad enough. And then, you know, you get the distraction of now I like to play with gifts. So I have to go find the perfect gift to prove that my familiar is definitely able to open a door. I don't care what Chris says. Um, kind of moments, but then I kind of tune out a little bit and then I have to come back in and it's a lot easier to get distracted. Whereas I think at a table, you can really get more of the like, my character does this, but I say, you Cheeto know, dust and, on everything. Yeah. <laughs> but does your character need a story? Like, um, I understand like the role playing we- aspect, but does your character have parents, siblings? Are they adventuring for a reason like why are they out in the world well i mean sure but a backstory is a backstory the story of the character is what happens at the table yeah i mean does my character need a story well i guess kind of but that like you said happens naturally at the table Mm -hmm. like we live through those moments and we we discover all those moments together as a group and the story naturally comes out of that um the backstory part um I would say like a little bit of backstory is helpful just to give you some kind of like direction. But uh, I am not a person that goes deep into backstory. It's just like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I was a smuggler and, you know, I did this and I did that. Like just a couple of keywords. And fine, whatever. I, I, I don't really care. I like to have a lot of backstory because I think it helps me make decisions that are different than how I would make decisions. But I think it is making those decisions that tells my character's story. I don't need to try to tell a story. The actions I am taking, the decisions I'm making, how we are progressing through the campaign, that is the story. I don't want to try to force my narrative into the GM's world. I And if I have ideas... I would probably be more likely to 
approach the GM outside of game and be like, hey, this is something I was thinking for my character. This is These are the contacts my character has in this world. Um, and that way the GM could, where it fits in with their story, add those elements if they want to. But I don't have to, you know, try to fit my character's arc into this world because my character's arc should be, I am a hero who is doing heroic deeds and that that is what we are playing at, at the game. You are a hero that's heroic. Yeah, I, I, do, I do hero things and that is my story. So... You, you but that's to like D and D. There's there's so many other games, and in other games, story can be so much more important than it is in D and D. And I think we tend to get a little bit D and D focused because that's what we're currently playing. Yeah. But in, in, in all honesty, Vampire, most for, games will follow that format. In Vampire, though, we played Vampire the Masquerade for a while, um, up until everybody got pregnant, <laughs> and. Um, that sort of fell apart. But in Vampire, it's much more important for me to have a character who has independent motivations and contacts in the world. And it's much more character focused and driven than D&D is. And in that one, my character's story is much more important to me than in D&D. I think it is our party's story is what drives it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about Vampire versus D&D, D&D is meant to be a party level game. Vampire Mm -hmm. is Almost like, yeah, you're all playing at the same table, but you're not on the same team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so talking to the world and like interjecting your characters into the world, how important is it, if at all, it doesn't sound like at all, for your characters to have agency? Like what you do matters in the overall story of the game. Or you find just kind of being on rails and be like, you know, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to kill some goblins, I'm going to come back, I'm going to kill some goblins, and oh, we leveled up, so now we're killing bugbears. I'm cool with this. No matter what I do, I'm probably going to kill more bugbears next week. I mean, I like to have story elements for why I'm killing bugbears and goblins, but it doesn't have to be about my character. Like, I don't want to just be like, okay, here's the dungeon, there you go, kill them. Okay, tut tut, good job. <laughs> All done. <laughs> um, but I don't have to be like, this bugbear murdered my mother, and that is the only reason I'm out to get the revenge. Like, you know, there, there's an in-between of, like, these are the bad guys. I'm the good guy. That's good enough for me. But, like, it has to be going somewhere. Like I said, it doesn't have to... I. It should feel like a series, but it doesn't have to be like the... Like, if it's a TV show, there's, like, you know episodic like week by week we're gonna wrap up a storyline i don't need that but i need to know at some point we're gonna like face a bigger bad guy and wrap up loose ends you know i don't need the micro episode of each session has a complete story to it you know it as long as the campaign as a whole has a story does that make sense yeah, so, um, and fletcher i'm gonna leave you out of this question because you weren't playing in this um we were playing a savage worlds campaign where each of you had a character with a pretty, you know, solid backstory. And the way I was running that is each session was focused on an individual character versus the way I'm running D&D right now, where it's more focused on the group and not an individual character. Um, the system has nothing to do with whether or not I need I focus on a group or focus on a character. It was just the story or the game I was running at the time. I wanted to incorporate more story elements to it. So I'm wondering two things from you, Kitty. One, 
was that more or less interesting than just playing a character that had stats? And two, um, kind of attached to one, did that make you feel like your character had more substance to it, again, than rather than just the stats? I don't want to answer honestly, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I attached found, either way. I'm just curious. I found my parts of the story more interesting, but I felt more likely to tune out during other people's focused sessions. It could feel much easier to like, oh, well, this one's not about me. It's like, you know, turning on <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation. And you're like, oh, no, it's a data episode. I just want to skip it. <laughs> like, it's not like one person was the data. It was everyone else. I just cared about me. <laughs> and that's not totally true. I'm exaggerating for effect. But um, it's it was really fun to be building a character in a story and... I, I remember so much about my character from that campaign. I don't remember anyone else's character all that much, except Sydney's for some reason. Sydney's bird person was very <laughs> memorable, but I couldn't tell you what Spencer played. I'm, I just think, I think you can go both ways. And yes, if you're a selfish player, you're not invested in the rest of the group, which isn't necessarily bad. I think all of us on some level are like that, right? If we're going to play a game and it's about the character development, when your character's not being developed, it's like, wait, someone else got to level and I didn't, right? So it's it's this trade-off where <laughs> the alternative is nobody gets any story time because um, you always hear about you know the spotlight. And, and you mm -hmm. listen to a lot of actual play. And if you start analyzing it, you'll see that the spotlight moves around. Mm -hmm. The entire party is never the emphasis, not at any given point. It's it's someone is always has the spotlight. And when they have that, it's all on them right there. And if the rest of the group is interested in that character, it's like saying, you know, I like the data episodes. I like the wharf episodes. I'm not really, mm. you know, preferenced on either of them, but... I'm interested in where those characters go because now when it's my turn, the Picard episodes, I know how those characters can integrate in with my storyline. So it's, and it's a tricky balance for sure. Um, but I just wanted to kind of do a contrary, not a, a corollary to, I don't really care about the story to, well, I guess if there is story that's specifically about me, it becomes more memorable because I do think that that's a situation that happens. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I actually haven't really played a campaign that's like that, really, where the spotlight has been on any one particular character for an extended for an extended period of time. For like short periods of time, sure, it's like, oh, this is definitely something that the rogue needs to do, or this is definitely a challenge for the mage, or this is something that the archer needs to. You know what I mean? Like, right. But that's not like you know the session or anything. That's just yeah, so, a five minute little portion. Yeah. So the way this ran was. Um, we would go visit a particular planet. So this was like a, a pulpy sci-fi as the 50s saw sci-fi. And you'd visit a planet, and that planet was going to advance somebody's storyline. Now, in the session, everybody had things to do. It was a regular old session. But the over the episode of that session was focused on a particular character to advance that particular character's storyline. And so you still have that. Hey, Archer's going to arch, right? That's that's going to be there. <laughs> Archer's going to arch. <laughs> it's going to happen. But what's Rogue doing with his long-lost half-brother, 
right? And so that's that's where your the story, the reason for existing is to get Rogue's information, is to get more story around Rogue, which wasn't pre-planned. It just kind of came out of it. But Archer still got to arch in the process. Also, I don't know if you need an archer and a rogue. Yeah, you probably could. That's a good team. Um, now, one thing that I don't think that you guys actually care about at all, but I'm curious. Pre-published adventures versus completely homebrew. Do you care? I do not care. As long as it's fun. I don't think I like homebrew. Okay. I I feel like it often starts with a really cool concept. And then I, there's just like so much time and effort that goes into it and then life gets in the way and it all feels kind of i don't know i like pre-published adventure paths or whatever non-trademarked version of those exist in other games i'm just most advent uh, familiar with adventure paths um i i like that there is you know there's going to be an end homebrew campaigns can can not always do but can feel either like too short or unending it's either like i had this idea for the big bad and now we get there and we're done and that's it hooray or i've created this like such a huge world that we can never possibly explore it all and we're just going to keep like trudging through this for the next 18 years i don't know those are just my personal feelings about it i also think that like you know a lot of these companies hire really good professional writers who come up with really cool ideas that are way better than anything i could come up with um i'm not saying that there aren't homebrew dms out there coming out with really cool and interesting stuff just that um if i was going to run a game i would probably choose something pre-published because somebody out there is better at it than i am so why not use <laughs> well, their stuff? I, I think that's <laughs> probably the most horrible advice I've ever heard ever in my life. <laughs> I don't want to do it because someone else is better than me. But <laughs> no, I just know I, my own strengths and weaknesses. I have a lot of things that I'm great at, but you know, that's not one of them. So I will say that for newer DMs, GMs, I would say go with a pre-published adventure. Um, they're all horrible. Every single one of them is horrible. All of them are horrible. Um, my most successful campaigns have always been homebrew. And anytime I try to run a published adventure, it's horrible. But we'll talk about more of that I, I, on my episode when I talk about why to run a game. Um, I guess I haven't experienced too many. Um, pretty much all the games I've, I've played have, have been homebrew, except for the one we're doing right now. And I don't know, was the Eberron one? Was that uh, homebrew? Eberron or? was uh, pre-published, but it was drastically modified from the very first one. So that was 13 um, individual modules. But from the very first one, from that point on, if the oh, yeah, modules are like 32 pages long, I used two pages of them as source. And that's actually how I like to do my homebrew is... I will pull from other pieces, but if I tried to run that as written, it would have been so dull, so boring. It it would have been horrible. Um, John asks, why? Why are they so bad? Um, because they have to be written for everyone. 
And you can't, if you write something for everyone, you have to basically take everything into consideration. When you're doing homebrew, I can take into consideration my players and the type of characters that they want to make. So you can merge those two things together and come up with a great story. But to Kitty's point, it is something that you can do with practice and over time. Um, it's something that makes running a game fun. Um, when I was running Pathfinder, one of the reasons I hated it so very much is because I was using an adventure path and I could not stand it. I hated it so much. It was terrible. Um, but again, this is your episode, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is valid though. I think, I think you're both basically saying the same thing though. Well, Fletcher, you're like, I don't really care where the story comes from as long as there's some kind of story there. And Kitty, you're saying, I've had better experiences with pre-published stuff than homebrewed stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And All also right. listening to pre-published stuff versus homebrew stuff. Listening And listening to people play is very different than playing. And I mm-hmm. get that. But a lot of people who do um, homebrew actual plays, I feel like they often kind of lose the thread a bit with the story. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's still possible. Like you said, you have to, you don't have to write an entire campaign before you run it. In fact, I would highly suggest that you don't do that. Um, but when you're running a pre-published thing, at least you know where it's ending, assuming that your DM has read the entire book before they even start prepping for anything. I think, too, <laughs> if you're running, and you know, maybe this is something we should say for your episode, but like, if you're running a game, you should know where it will end. You yes. might not know how or in the specifics, but you should have an endpoint in mind. And I think that um, the best games maybe are a mix of both. It's where you have a pre-published framework that you are using with your own kind of homebrew meat on the bones is when you have this like scaffolding of somebody else has come up with like, the world in which it takes place. Cause that just like world building is really hard. And when you like set it in the world of this, you know, forgotten realms or Galarian or whatever it is, you know, there's already so much built that you don't have to come up with that it feels real. It feels much more fleshed out. You don't have to come up with, you know, the name for every tree <laughs> or whatever so actually, it is. <laughs> so let's actually turn this into. Um, would you rather, and, and you've already answered the question, but I'm going to ask the question. We're going to jeopardy this. <laughs> would you rather play in a pre-made setting versus a homebrew setting? Because a lot of what you just talked about right there was not necessarily the story, but the setting about it. So Eberron is a setting. The world mm-hmm. is established. You know how it works. And for those who don't know Eberron, it's a steampunkish world where... Instead of steam, things are powered by elementals. Um, but it's like a technology steampunky D and D. But that setting, magic. yeah, with magic. But the story that we were playing was in that setting. Was actually in a single city in that setting. Didn't even scratch the surface of what the setting has to offer. But the things I let you guys do was essentially whatever your characters wanted. The modules were not written for you to make friends with the bad guys. The modules weren't written for yeah. you to go to the party and, you know... I was going to bring this up. We weren't actually. going to... Uh, we weren't meant to 
act as caterers and whatever it was. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean is like, there's the setting. I think I, I really enjoy a well fleshed out setting. I think that that is very important. I like exploring the world. I think that that is crazy important to have a world that feels like I want to know more about this. I want to be a part of the story that takes place here. That is huge for me. And those settings can be so wildly different game to game. And that's part of the fun, too, of like playing in different systems is, you know, going from Forgotten Realms to Eberron to, uh, what is it? Well, you haven't done my da- Dark you didn't, Chicago. You were not playing in the Dark Sun campaign, but that's the campaign that we were playing when you were just a spectator at that point. Mm-hmm. Which was a two-year-long homebrew story set in the Dark Sun setting. And I would say to this date, it's still my most successful campaign. We literally played it two years to the conclusion of the campaign. So it's, it, I, but it's super interesting to hear. And honestly, a lot of this is I'm just trying to get information from you. So let's go into the mechanical <laughs> of this. And I'm going to throw three questions out there. Um, how important it? How important is frequent leveling? How important is finding magic items? And how important is finding treasure? Treasure being, here's money. It's not functional things. Magic items being the things that you could actually use. Like, where does that fall in? If if that just didn't exist, if your characters were essentially, you know, for months at a time, there was no leveling, would you would it keep your attention? Or is it really not about the gaining power? It's just about using the power you have now. I get more Uh frustrated with too frequent leveling because I feel like I never learn how to use the powers I have. Especially when you're playing a mage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a wizard. I haven't even cast a spell yet. (laughs) I've got three more. What about you, Fletcher? What do you think? Um, So to answer these questions, how important is frequent leveling? Well, I mean, I would say you do need to level, but I don't want... I don't want it to be too frequent because if if it's too frequent, it doesn't feel like a a, a big enough kind of like occurrence. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel like oh yes, finally like I leveled like yes now I have like these new abilities now I have skill points to spend or you know whatever system you're playing. Um, but it needs to happen uh, frequently enough so I don't just feel like this is the character that I'm stuck playing forever. Um, I, I want to I want to advance like a little bit. I feel like, you know, I'm growing as a player. My character should grow as, you know, as a person in the RPG. And I don't know. Like I feel like leveling isn't nearly as important to me as facing different kinds of creatures and encounters. And the but those often go hand in hand of you have to level up to be competitive against different and higher level creatures so to me it's more i want the game to feel different i don't want to just play and now we go kill goblins and now we go kill other goblins and look here oh it's more goblins that gets really old now it's bugbears now it's kobolds (laughs) yeah and you can keep a lot of that on the same level you just have to face different types of creatures in different types of situations here we're you know, fighting in a big open space and you can really move around. Here we're in a tight corridor and you have to use different tactics and look, everyone lined up. So now you can get your cone effect or your line spell. You know, I like the the different feels of encounters is much more important to me 
than necessarily like, and now I get my next level of spells. And it doesn't matter to me if I unlock the next level of spells if I'm never in an encounter where I get to use them. Right. You never get to use your cone spell because they're not all lined up in front of you. Uh-huh. They're just surrounding you all if, the time. If even every like third encounter, I get to do something completely different. Or like here we can use all of our ranged attacks. And I like to try, kind of like when I'm leveling up, think about like, how are the different ways I can fight? How can I, like, I, I've been toying with being a melee wizard and how fun is that? And am I just too squishy for this to work? I'm going to just keep trying. I'm just going to keep stacking all of these buff spells on myself and see how good <laughs> I can get this to be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fun for me to use the powers I have and I don't care how much I gain more if I'm not using them. But it is fun to gain them when you like pick the perfect spell or ability or you get the new weapon and then like the next encounter is just like perfect for that. There's nothing better than that. Like, I get to use my new thing. Check it out. Ah, It's so much fun. So what's your preferred way to level up? Would you want to track experience per kill or experience for solving a particular quest or whatever? Or is, and people use this term differently, but like milestone leveling a better way where it doesn't matter how you solve the problem. At a certain point, the characters are ready to level up, so they level up. I mean, Um. I, I like the way you do it where you don't tell it. I think we just do it by milestone. Is how you do it, but yeah. I don't. I don't have to pay attention or care or anything. Every once in a while, at the end of a session, you say, "And now you level up," and that feels good. And you do it frequently enough that I, it's still fun and special, but not, um, so infrequently that it's like, Ugh, "Are we ever gonna move on from here?" You know. It, it feels good. You're doing it right, and I don't know how you're doing it, and that's how it should be for a player. I think that players who are tracking their XP and like, oh, actually, uh, we should have leveled up three kills ago, like, it. I think it takes some of the fun out of it. <laughs> um, I'm actually okay with either, um, <laughs> because prior to having you as a GM, Chris, like, a lot of the games that I played, it was after every encounter it's like okay you like everyone got you know 180 experience points or something like that or you know whatever it is um and you, you know, everybody wrote it down on their character sheet and added it up it's like oh great I, you know i'm only 200 more points away from leveling up but i i feel like those kinds of campaigns are maybe run a little bit differently because those are just kind of like encounters that you can throw at groups and then they level up um, and, and you can also kind of like grind a little bit more as a party. It's like, no, wait, like before we go into like the next room where like the boss is, like, why don't we go and explore some of the levels above us that we didn't open up all those rooms, see if there's monsters, grind out a few more experience points, level up and then take on the boss. That's probably behind this, you know, big barred door. Um, and this so is I would part say, of like, the. Th- weaknesses of a pre-written adventure path or something like that, where there is a certain number of encounters that you have to do to make sure that you get the right equipment and levels to be able to beat the boss. And all of the equipment is 
pre-picked and if you it doesn't match your party you end up with these really cool artifacts that no one can use and that is a huge weakness in these uh pre-written things and i think that um in a good game it things change like you can be flexible enough to like we don't have to do every room to make sure that we have enough you know i i don't want to feel like we're sacrificing the story to make sure we have enough XP to stay competitive as we go through. It shouldn't... I, I don't like that feel, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, so... I don't, I don't mind it, because it's like a video game. <laughs> it feels too much like a video game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, for uh, me... So I don't mind it. I, I don't mind either one. <laughs> yeah. So, for me, I've I've actually done it both ways many many times like and i'll go back and forth both ways i know that players love getting stuff and experience is just another stuff that you can get um i do not like when i say okay everyone gets 200 experience and someone says oh man i'm only 20 experience away from leveling i'm like for god's sakes just round up you've leveled (laughs) right because i don't think it's interesting for the story for someone to have to go track down a random cobalt and kill him so you can get your 20 experience points. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the other problem I find with experience for killing things is, well, what if you found a more interesting way to get by the room full of cobalts? Now you don't get any experience for it, which can, depending on you know how literally some DMs take adventures... Basically say, oh, well, you snuck around, so you didn't get any experience for that encounter. So now, you know, you only get 150 for this particular adventure as opposed to 250 that you would have gotten. So that's why I like using the milestone, so that you don't have to worry about what's the best way for me to maximize my experience. Maximize what's fun, and here you go. However, I have, in many cases, people like, oh, yeah, I really like experience. I'm like, okay, fine. And you know what you can do as a DM? Whatever you want. So, all right. <laughs> everyone got 350 experience for this adventure. But we only killed five cobalts. I know, but you had completed multiple story quests that gave you all the extra experience. It's still milestone leveling. Found, yeah, you found a bunch of secret rooms. You, you <laughs> yeah. completed this puzzle. Like, yeah. there's a bunch of it's, stuff you did. It's the exact same thing. Um, but people get to feel like I got experience points. Now, the way you guys are leveling right now is... It is milestone in that there's certain things you do that cause you to level. Um, and I just let you know when you've done those things. And eventually you'll catch on and know what you're doing to level. But that's okay. Because that's not the interesting part of the play. It's interesting after play. Okay, we get to level and I get to do new things or whatever. Yeah, I intentionally don't pay attention to how it works because it breaks the story for me like i don't know leveling to me is something like outside of the game it's not something that happens in the game so if i'm paying too much attention to when and how i'm going to level up while i'm playing it means i'm not playing the way i enjoy it I You're personally playing the meta like game, not the game exactly and i enjoy the meta game i love leveling up outside of the game I like spending time and looking at all the spells and fiddling around something you wouldn't know because I forgot to do it last time. <laughs> but, um, but it is something I really enjoy. But when I'm playing the game, I want to be focused on what is in front of me. I don't want to be thinking about, well, if I do this, this, and this, then I can gain this. Like that's 
that's too metagame for me. I like to stay in the moment. So I guess in that respect, I'm much more story-focused than mechanic-focused, even though I'm looking at a map, which is super mechanic-focused. And I'm counting my squares, and I'm seeing how many people I can fit in my cones versus my spheres, and I'm looking at the range of my spells and all of that. But that's what I should be doing, not thinking about how I can get to the next. I think if you're looking ahead, you miss what's happening in the moment. I'm putting my player head on for a moment. (laughs) I would say, and if I'm being completely honest, even though I don't like running games like this, I would say I like the experience per encounter or solving quests or whatever method. um, Because you get something. Well, because I am the metagamer, I am trying to optimize my character. I'm trying to, I don't play so much. My my character has a story and a background, but rarely does that ever come out in the games I play, which are convention games or organized play games or something like that. And I've not ever played in a long-term D&D campaign. Um, so I like knowing when I'm at the table there, it's like, okay, if I do this, this, and this, I'm going to get this and this for my character that I can then move on and bring on to another organized play game. Um, one of the reasons why Vampire was hard, so hard for me when we were playing that is because there was nothing I knew to do to make myself better, right? It, it was just mm-hmm. like, okay, um, this is just, like, I don't know how to be better at this character. And I know you that I'm already to too good. <laughs> right, but I'm already too good at many different things, which breaks the story. So what I focused on couldn't happen otherwise the story wouldn't be the story so for me i liked the min maxing stuff now if i were ever in a long-term D campaign i think i'd be completely fine with milestone leveling i would still plan out every level probably weeks or months in advance but i would be fine doing that um it just i didn't expect to answer this question but as you guys were talking i'm like huh yeah i kind of like the micro leveling stuff i used to when i was playing organized play i used to do like you know chase certificates you get magic items and they would be on a certificate and that's how your characters owned magic items in organized play uh they don't do it that way anymore but at the time i'm like oh man i want all of those things if i can collect it i want it how important to magic items are you guys um i feel like they're kind of like as important as leveling to me like you need to you need to encounter magic items enough that obviously that you can use um because they grant abilities that you otherwise wouldn't have even if it's like a simple like you know oh you have a short sword now it's a short sword plus one like yay now i can hit more stuff i can hit better i can hit things that wouldn't normally take you know that are immune to magical damage it increases the uh, you know abilities that you have or maybe you find a more powerful one that gives you something to sneak or tells you when there are orcs around or you know whatever um, th- it just increases your tool set. So again, you don't want to just have piles and piles of magic items because otherwise you're just throwing stuff away as you pick up new stuff um, and they don't feel important or powerful. Um, but you do want to come across them every now and again because and, and, it's a it's a major boost in gameplay and, it, and it's a lot of fun. Like, oh yes, this thing is like, this is perfect for me. I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever found a really cool magic item that like worked for my character that I can think of off the top of my head. What do you define as a really cool magic item? Something that has an ability that 
isn't just like this is a plus one like as much as fletcher said like a plus one sword is cooler than having just a regular sword i think like having something that feels special to the story um is much more interesting i would rather have a cursed item someone in the chat says than have a (laughs) plus one like if it's a cursed item that is like interesting I would and like I I would like it to be something that like oh it has this really cool use but it has a cost like that's much more fun to me story element wise than like and it's a plus one and now it does damage against you know incorporeal creatures or whatever it is you know I also feel like something that is useful for my character i feel like a lot of times in campaigns we come across stuff and it's like oh this is more useful for someone else oh this is more useful for someone else i haven't found something that's like really cool for me i think the only thing that that i've found that we can use in this campaign is a wand of magic missiles which is cool but i can cast magic missile without a wand (laughs) yeah i was just about to say i think you are the one that's gotten the most cool magic items um a, a wand of magic missile is not just cool it is extraordinarily cool and you have to remember every scroll you get is a scroll that you can turn into a spell you can cast later um but i also agree with you in that magic items that don't have a plus something associated with it are far more interesting an elk of you know or a a cloak of turning into a tree is an interesting magic item um what i am doing and i will you know pull back the curtain a little bit in this particular campaign, this overarching story is mine. The levels are, for the most part, from the book. And there are a ton of interesting magic items if you choose to find them or go down them or discover them. Um, you've probably missed a couple here and there. And there's a couple that I don't think that you'll care to find just because they're kind of someplace that you know is not obvious. Um, but those things are definitely possible. There, the one thing I do change though is if it is a weapon or a piece of armor or something along those lines, that will be modified to be someone that in the group can use. So you won't ever find a magical weapon or a magical piece of armor or something like that that is unusable by the group. Mm-hmm. But this is for a monk. We don't have a monk in our group. <laughs> exactly. But the wand of magic missiles is huge, 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 huge. It never misses. I mean, I get, but it just saves me a spell slot. It doesn't. It saves you ten spell slots a day. <laughs> yeah, you can you can cast it a lot. But it, yes, it it's never like saying, misses. But it's like my firebolt. It might miss, but it does like four times as much damage if it hits. It's like you know, think, sure, maybe I, should, I don't know. I think you should take a look at those numbers because that is simply not true. Three d four plus three is always better than one d eight. Um. I didn't think it was 3d4. I thought it was. It's three missiles at level one. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's super boring to just stand there and magic missile everything the whole time. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying If I use 10 magic missiles a day, that would be the most incredibly boring game Fletcher, to play for me. Fletcher, what do you me. do every time you attack? <laughs> <laughs> he tries I to try get I try to stab someone his... with my sword. And it's but really you quick. you line up. You try when to get I played your sneak the mages attack, before. You... I was like, oh, I always wanted to cast magic missile because I knew it would hit. Yeah, and it would do the damage that I needed to do, even though it couldn't do as much damage as it's some boring. of the higher level spells. I don't like it would magic never missile. Miss. I well, want to 
cast mirror image and play with my shadow blade. Well, then blade. give it to me because I think I can use magic items. <laughs> if you can use yeah, magic give- items, you can have the land of magic missile. I don't think it's fun. Magic missile is the most boring spell because it always hits. And unless you're like, oh, I know that this creature has two hit points left. Uh, I can kill it. it <laughs> it's not exciting for the story. So as we're learning, not everyone's magic item is a magic item that everyone wants. Yeah. When I saw a wand, because I did not put it in the adventure. When I saw a wand of magic missile there, I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I was a player and I had this one. Like, that's literally what I was thinking. And you've used it once, which now I understand why. I think you use it once as as like a key. Did you even cast anything from it? You just like stuck it in the mirror and you're, it needed a magic item and it like drained one magic missile from it. Oh, yeah. I've right, used it in combat a couple times. Oh. But not often. And like if it got down to the point where like we had so many encounters that I was like completely out of spell slots, I'd probably use it more. But like you guys tend to like get in there and smash to the point where like I don't use most of my spells a lot of the time. Um, and I think, you know, the further we go, the more difficult encounters we get into, yeah. the more I likely the I reason, am to be in the situations where this is useful. I think the reason that I find it so useful is that I could fill my learned spells with things that weren't combat specific. I could fill those with utility spells or more interesting spells. And then the man- Wand of Magic Missile is my primary damage spell because it's always going to be effective. But then I always have these other spells I can use. And that's what's interesting for the story. But that is, that's me basically power gaming again, saying, oh, this is perfect. Now I can play these story spells, which you would never learn otherwise. Like, why am I going to learn Spider Crawl? I can can learn a bunch of spells. um, And a lot of the spells that are useful outside of combat, I can cast as rituals. So I don't have to have them prepared. Sure, yeah. So I prepare all my combat spells, and then I can use stuff like... Um. Oh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Like detect magic, I can cast as ritual or whatever it is. So I don't know. It's not that the wand of magic missiles is like terrible. It's just not exciting. That's fair. All right. Well, this episode is gone on <laughs> for a while. So I think we already talked about the group. I think the most important part for the players and the DM is... All right, we have to talk about this for just a minute. Because I was about to say the most important part for the players in the dam is the group. But I don't think that's true. I've When you go to conventions, you're oftentimes sitting with a random group of people. When you're playing an organized play, you're oftentimes not playing with the same group every time. So for you guys, how important is it that you're the, the group of people that you're playing with? Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever really played with a group of strangers. I mean, I guess I have once, but... I mean, to me, it, it's just like a, a group af- activity that I do with friends. Okay. So, Kitty, you're probably been in the same situation. Like, Have you played with a random group of players? I've played with random groups of players. Um, I played a couple at Gen Con the last time that happened. Um, I've never played, I don't know, because it's different. It's fun. I like to play with other players. Uh, I haven't had a terrible experience so i haven't had you know you'll hear these horror stories of people who like and then i sat down at the table and everyone was awful and there's this one person who was just the worst i haven't had an experience like that i i had a lot of good experiences um so maybe you know that means i was the terrible player isn't that the the thing is <laughs> um 
if you can't spot it, it's you. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but I had a lot of fun and I met some really nice people playing that way. And I really, as you know, enjoy making characters. So I enjoy sharing those characters with other people. And it's fun to find someone who's willing to listen to you talk about your level one bard that you made just for <laughs> the Adventures League stuff. It's fun. Yeah. Um, I would say the group is very important. Um, it, they don't have to be people you know, but if they're people you know, then you know that they're going to be, well, you know what to expect. I was going to say that you know they're going to be good <laughs> people, but I've played with friends that I would rather not play with, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but the group is important. Like It is a group game. It is a collaboration. And if you have a fun group, you're going to have a fun game, regardless of just about anything else. Yeah, but I, I don't think that... Um that's a reason to not play with strangers. I think that's a reason to play with strangers is you're going to meet and play with other fun and interesting people. And it can be a really good experience. And yes, you're taking the chance playing with people you don't know that it could be bad, but you're also taking the chance that it could be awesome. And you could make really cool new friends that you want to play with again. Yeah. I wasn't trying to imply that you should play with people, you know, I'm trying to imply that whoever you play with, whether you know them or not, as long as it's a, fun group you're gonna have a fun game and you're more often Mm -hmm. than not gonna have a fun group yeah so i would agree with that all right and we'll talk about how to manage that one person at the table who's not that fun (laughs) next time when we talk about why dm a wand of magic missile (laughs) all right take us out oh i forgot i have to do this let me scroll (laughs) sorry everybody i am really on top of it i messed up the intro too tabletop game talk is a proud member of the dice tower network if you'd like to follow us on social media the links for facebook and twitter are in our show notes want to watch us record live you can find a link for that in our show notes too comments or questions email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons if you'd like to be one of these wonderful people you can find out how by visiting our website tabletopgametalk.com and clicking the support us link and there's a link for the show notes in the show notes too Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, Adam Harrison, Miles Vegemite Sandwich Clark, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Letgo, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keefe, Paul Raymer, Timothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Justin Willard, <laughs> Jason Rodney, Cindy Loom, Eric Ho- Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Eric Slander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Sahara Wentworth, Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, and Ronald Roy. And thank you to everyone who's ever been a patron. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, so super quick D&D wrap-up. Uh, Fletcher, what happened this week? Um, let me think. Kitty got a wand of magic missile that she hates. <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened like a couple weeks ago, but that makes sense why you've never used it. Um, man, what, what did happen last week? Uh, we found a uh, player piano. We explored, we explored like level two. We found a puppet that was playing with 
um, a chemistry set. Food we color. found <laughs> Goblin Coachella. That's true. Um, what else did we do? Oh, we got attacked by the stove from Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, Kid, we got it. Yeah. Oh, and we accidentally summoned a guy because I touched the floor. <laughs> All of those things happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Man, it's like I wasn't even there. You had to remind me of everything that happened. I was like, we explored level two. You explored, I don't know, maybe 15% of level two. Um, Yeah, and all of those things, like I said, the dungeons themselves, I am pulling mostly directly from the book. And I think it's hilarious. The one thing that this book does do well is gives a lot of reason for these different levels to exist in the way they exist. And... It's fun to watch you guys kind of move around a dungeon where you're you're sort of expecting. I'm pretty sure you as players are expecting that, wait, this is a dungeon. We should go to one room, kill everything. Go to the next room, kill everything. Go to the next room, kill everything. And you end up walking around in these relatively empty spaces that things used to live in. But now it's bas- haunted, haunted stoves and forks and sporks and such. You know, haunted player pianos and things like this. And there's story behind yeah, the bone piano. Yeah. Well, there's story behind all of it that is revealed. The more you know, the more you'll like, it'll go back and like, oh, that's what this was, or that's what that was. Um, so it's fun for me to watch that happen. And I'm trying not to change things too much because I think what's there is interesting and how you interact with it is very, very interesting for me. Again, something we'll talk about. In a month. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been having fun. I like that it's not all just straightforward. Here's goblins, kill them. Here's goblins, kill them. I'm enjoying... I liked the um, piano encounter in particular. I thought that was really fun. It gave Sydney a chance to shine and do something interesting there. And we got a really cool reward for, you know, not smashing the piano. (laughs) Solving a puzzle, kind of. Yeah. And there I were like goblins. The aspects. Yeah. But they were apparently and, setting up a music festival. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean you didn't, as far as we can tell. Yeah. We're you, probably going to go back and... basically several dozen goblins and said, let's go this other direction. But from what you saw, it was like, uh, is this a street festival of some sort? Mm-hmm. So, good stuff. All right. And on that note, I'm going to go hack up a lung, and we will talk next week. <laughs>